with that, let's, uh, let's get started. Uh, today, we're going to be back in the names of God as we uh, our summer series. This is our third message in there. Uh, we had started a couple of weeks ago uh, with the very first name of God, which is translated in the Bible as God. And today's uh, name kind of harkens back to that a little bit, but uh, Elohim. And uh, we see that Elohim is the God that uh, is a creator. He's powerful. He's a covenant keeper, but he's also the God that creates he creates order out of chaos. Isn't that awesome? And I hope that you've been connecting with this God because we could use some order in this world, right? It's pretty chaotic. But then last week we talked about Yahweh. Now God revealed himself not just by his characteristics, by his name that we are to know him from generation to generation. The self-existent God. The God who saves. The God who is righteous. The God who is the truth behind truth itself. And today, well, we get a new name, and uh, kind of based off those, but first, our memory verse. And the memory verse today actually has, of course, our new name. It's in there. It's hidden, but we'll show you. It's from Genesis 28, verse 3. It says, May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. All right? This is awesome. Doesn't it sound like being disciples that build disciples? This is the blessing. And so this is something that we're going to set to our hearts, our memory today. So if you wouldn't mind, just say it along with me. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. Genesis 28.3. All right, again. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. Genesis 28.3. All right, here we go. Test yourselves. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples, Genesis 28.3. Oh, isn't that amazing? This was God's plan all along. Right, this, was, this was his blessing. This is the book of Genesis. Though he would bless us, increase our numbers. God wants to populate his kingdom. And he also wants his kingdom. This It's not just to increase the numbers, but until what? Until we become a community. And God doesn't want us just to be isolated, lonely, right? He's called us together to be part of something big and something amazing. But, but today we're going to look at where's the power in that, that God Almighty. This is a work of God, and we get to be part of it. And you are part of his blessing, which is pretty good. Now, today I found this verse of the Bible. I was super proud of myself because it's a verse that has the three names of God that we were covering the first three weeks. So, yay me, right? So, that was one of those moments where you're studying the Word and you're like, hey, no way! And I found it, so I wanted to share it with you. In Exodus 6, it says, And God, Elohim, right, the first name, uh, spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord, Yahweh. And I appeared unto Abraham, and unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty, El Shaddai. That's the name we're going to study today. But by my name, Yahweh, I was not known to them. The same God. He comes by different names because he's revealing something about himself to us. Do you see that? And why would, in the scripture, why would he reveal himself in different names in this one passage if that wasn't his purpose? He's telling us something. And I think sometimes when we just read our Bibles just in our translations, although we get the main point, sometimes we miss the beautiful nuance of who God is. Which is why today we're going to look at this last part. Right? El Shaddai. This was the name that the patriarchs knew God. When God started the, the process of, of creating his nation so the Messiah could come, this is how he revealed himself to them. This is a name that is so fundamental to our faith. It's a name that oftentimes when our faith is rocked, this is the name that rejuvenates, reminds us that our faith is not lost. It's not a waste. It's the name that kicked off faith to begin with. It is the name that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob called upon when they called upon God. And so it's a name that we get to, to study today. It's a beautiful name, El Shaddai. 
is first uh, read about uh, in, in the scripture. The first time we come across El Shaddai is in Genesis chapter 17. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn them there to Genesis chapter 17. If you have one of our Bibles, it's going to be on page 10. And I want you to, like, for those of you who are afraid of reading the Bible, I want you to notice, page 10 is already chapter 17. So if you want to feel successful at reading quickly, there you go, start in Genesis. Right? You get two chapters a page almost. It's pretty good pretty good return. Genesis 17. Now let me give you some history, some context as you are turning there. What's happened up to this point? See, up to this point, God has called Abraham, but his name was Abram, and Abram lived a pretty nice life down this place called Ur. Ur was a, a nice city, uh, good uh, civilization started and all this. It was kind of the, one of the, the first nice civilizations. They had some really good things that were going there. He was in there, was doing well. He was 70 years old. He built his life. He was married to a great gal named Sarah. He, she was, uh, he was a good wife. Life was decent for him. 70 years. Now he's getting ready. He's, he's in his retirement years. Everything seemed to have worked out fine, except for, well, there was one thing that didn't work out so well for Abram. He didn't have a kid. He had no one to pass all of this on to. His life. He might have been a great uncle, but he had no kids. And that was something that he had always longed for and his wife had longed for it. And it's just one of those things that sometimes this world just doesn't give us all that we want because this world wasn't designed to fulfill us. And we don't find Abram angry or bitter at God, but this was something that was a longing. And so God shows up into Abram's life and says, Abram, here's what you're going to do. You just leave everything and go uh, pack up stuff and go live in a tent. I'm going to tell you where to live somewhere else. A country that's far away from everybody you know, all the friends that you've made, all that kind of stuff. You're going you're gonna to start over. That's what we're going to do. And if you do that, then I'm going to make you a mighty nation. The world will be blessed through you. And Abram believed God. So he goes home. And the very next passage says he did everything that God told him to do. And so he goes back home. And I imagine this was an interesting conversation with his wife. They say, um, honey, we're going to pack up everything and we're going to go live in a tent. Um, in some foreign in the backwoods somewhere. Why? God told me. Oh, did he? But she believed God too. So they pack up. A bunch of the family wants to go along. Gets all of his flocks, all that kind of stuff, and they head out. 70 years old. It doesn't take very many years, not even a full year, to walk all the way over to the promised land, even if you're 70. It's just not that far. So they travel, and they make it there, and they set up their tent, and they did what God asked. They were faithful. So let's just give the benefit of the doubt that maybe it took up to a year and a half. Maybe they stopped off and and had a little vacation somewhere up north or something like that. So maybe 71, 72, but they set up their camp, and they're there, and they're waiting for the promise. But they show up, and there's no guy there that says, hey, here's the deed to the land. There's, there's, there's no baby yet. And so they get there, and it's been 70, what, one year behind there, and they're like, okay, God, bring on the blessing. You've given us a call. Give us the blessing, right? We've done our part. Do your part. So they show up. They're fully expecting it, and the year goes by. And now 72, and nothing. And then 73, nothing. And 74, and 75, now they're 76, 77. The years just keep ticking away. Nothing. 78, 79, 80. Ten years in the promised land. Ten years waiting for God to do his part. They had done their part. They did the hard work. Remember, Abraham did not have the Bible. Right? It had not been written yet. There were no Jews. There was no people of God yet. There was God. Some people, they knew the story of Noah. They would remember the story of, of, of the Tower of Babel. They knew the power of God. But, but there wasn't, that. we didn't have all the stories of all that we have of how God reveals himself and what he's doing. They just went on a promise. God showed up, said, do it. They did. And now 10 years, 10 years waiting. 
They had been faithful and were faithful. And here's the hard part. Abraham's name means exalted father. Every time for 70 years before they walk into a room, the one thing he wants is a kid. Every time he walks in the room, hello, exalted father, as a reminder, a dagger to him, you don't have a kid. And now 10 years in this promised land that they still don't hold a deed to, still living in tents, still fighting over wells with the the locals. Nothing. But they're faithful. And they stay. And I would imagine 10 years in, the conversations might turn to say, should we go back to Ur? Right? At least that would be for me. 10 years is a long time. I, I stayed in a tent for two weeks once as a Boy Scout, and that was about my max. That was, that was awful, right? You, in the backwoods, you don't have any bathroom, you don't have anything else, right? It's just you're out there in the woods, and you're cooking over, and you're smoky all the time, and it was fun for a few days, and then after like a week, you're like, okay, I can push through, and then there's a second week, and you're just thinking about when you get to go home and have a shower and, and good hot food, right? No more hot dogs. It was just, right, 10 years, 10 years of waiting. And we don't see a whole lot of interaction between him and God for a while and nothing, but they stay. In fact, their decision to stay, their faith was so strong that it seems seamless in Scripture. They don't even have this crisis of 10 years like I would. And so now they're 81 and 82 and 83. And thoughts start coming to their mind. Maybe, maybe, maybe we got the promise wrong. Maybe that's what happened is we heard God wrong. And I think that started to go into their mind. Maybe God wanted us to move here, but he needs some help. Well, they keep going. 84, 85. Sarah's like, you know what? This is ridiculous. Maybe the problem's not with you. Maybe God just made, maybe the problem's with me. Maybe God made the promise with you, Abram, but not with me. You know what? Maybe you could get your kid, but it's not with your wife. I have this gal who works for me, and she's younger, and can probably have a baby because I'm an old, old woman. And I don't know if God can make babies in old women. We don't see that happen. That would be miraculous. So maybe you should just have a baby with her. And can you imagine for this young gal, Hagar, can you imagine like that conversation with Sarah and her? Like, you're going to have a kid with my husband. And, and Hagar's probably like, ew, right? He's old. He's an 86-year-old man. I don't, I'm a young woman. But she didn't have a choice. And so she gets pregnant, 86, that's when she has a baby, 86 years old, Abraham is 86 years old, and he starts his family, and they don't know, is this the child of promise? And then the years continue to tick. They're there in the land, there's still no deed, they have this baby, caused some trouble in the home. Didn't seem like it was such a blessing that they thought God was going to bring. Because once the baby's born, now Sarah all of a sudden gets jealous, right? And Hagar, who starts to get very haughty, like, I've, this is going to be mine. My kid gets to have everything, right? I'm the, my child's the true heir to this. And so there was now tension in the home, and there was all kinds of problems that started to happen there. It was not happy. It did not seem like the blessing, like God had made it sound. Because this wasn't the way that God wanted it to go. This is what happened right before we read. So if you look at, at verse 16, the very last verse, right before that big number 17 there, it says, So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave him the name Ishmael to the son he had born. And he was 86 years old when Hagar born him. Ishmael, 86. And then the very next verse, get this. When Abram was 99 years old, there was a lot of time that passes between that period and capital. 13 years, right? This is, this is a big deal. That's a lot of time. 
13 years passes in between this. 13 years of uncertainty. 13 years of wondering. 13 years of saying the promise isn't as good as I thought it might be. 13 years. And then we get to chapter 17, verse 1. It says, when Abram was 99 years old. That's pretty old dude. It says, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Yeah, God in there tells him, you didn't fulfill my, my, my promise. I'm going to fulfill my promise, Abram. I'm God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. You see, walk before me faithfully. Stop trying to do things your own way. Then I'm going to keep my covenant with you. And Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, which means father of many. For I have made you a father of many nations. I think it's interesting that God shows up to Abram in the midst of this, changes his name, but how he reveals himself to Abram in this time when Abram's faith had been faltering. Which would make sense to us, right? We can't sit there and judge Abram and say, well, my faith would have faltered because I think most of us would have moved back to Ur a long time ago. He's still out there, right? And they, they, they were trying and they were striving and they were, were trying to help God keep his, his promise, but I think their faith was maybe a faltering. Maybe God's not strong enough to be able to give me a baby because I'm pretty much, I'm old enough, I should be dead, Right? And even if I had a baby at this point, it probably would kill me. Because we all know what toddlers do, right? They suck the energy of the adults around them. And you're 99, you don't have much energy gets sucked out of you, right? So you're thinking, can God do this? And God shows up and, and says, Abram, now you're 99? I am God Almighty. This is not your power. This is my power. Abram's faith was faltering and God settled it by his very nature. God reveals himself as El Shaddai. Three observations about El Shaddai, why it made the difference for Abram in order to continue to be faithful to God. The first thing that we learn about El Shaddai is it means God Almighty. You say, Aaron, I know that. We've been talking about this all the way through. But do we know it? You know, El Shaddai is a compound name of God, which means there's two different names that are put together to describe something very important about God. And the first part of that El Shaddai is El. Do you remember when we talked about Elohim? Right, that's that first part, that the El is, El is found 250 times in the Old Testament. 250 times where it, it, it's, it's, um, it says El, and it is translated as God, just like Elohim. Now, if you remember back to that first message, El is a proto-semantic for, for fearfully powerful. That's what the L means. When, when they talked about the fearfully powerful one, they, they used the word L, it were, they were talking about things like hurricanes. They were talking about things like earthquakes or lightning bolts. When something had power that was terrifying, a volcano, L. Something that was unimaginably powerful that people could not contain, that was the name L. And so when they refer to God, the very first thing that they talk about in El Shaddai is that he is the fearfully powerful one. The one is unimaginable, it's uncontainable. His power is, is enormous and is a little scary. The first part of the name of El Shaddai talks about power, a lot of power. He is the mighty El. And I want to show you a passage here in, um, that we have. is uh, Psalm 18. It says here, The Lord is my rock. Right? That's Yahweh. It's my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God, El, is my rock, whom I take refuge, my shield, and my horn of my salvation. Why would David put in two different names of God here? He gives the name of God. There is the only the one true God, Yahweh, so we know who he's talking about. But it's the nature of God, the fact that he is the great and mighty El, that gives him the confidence that God can be his shelter. Think about El. Think about the power of God. This, he is fearfully powerful. This is why we could trust him to be our shield. If God was weak, if God was just so, so powerful, we would have so, so confidence in him. David writes, God is my rock. You got to move him. He is stronger than us. This is where I take my refuge. Why? Because God is powerful. That's why we take refuge in him. He's fearfully powerful. He's a shield. 
to understand who God is, is so important for us. Think about when God came to earth. We talked last week that, that Yahweh is Jesus, right? When Jesus showed up, Yahweh came to earth. And there was that, that incident that we see where Jesus shows up, it, it, he, he takes a little break, and they go on that boat ride, and they go over to the Decapolis where the Gentiles are, where they have the pigs out in the field because Jesus wanted to have a little time away. And there was an army of demons, an army of demons inside of one man. And we know the power of just one angel. One angel in the Old Testament was able to wipe out an entire armed army that was set for battle. One angel. And here's an army of fallen angels in one man. There was a lot of power there. And Jesus steps off the boat and that entire army of demons surrenders without even putting up a fight. They come over to the great and mighty L and they say, we know who you are. Don't destroy us or punish us, right? And Jesus casts them out into pigs, and they're so terrified, those pigs in panic run off a cliff and die. Stupid demons. Right? God is powerful. I mean, just the first part of the name El Shaddai gives us enough to say we could take refuge in him. But here's the fun part. El Shaddai is not done. The El is just the first part. When we talk about El Shaddai, we're not just talking about El. El is enough to be a rock in salvation. But El Shaddai, well, we get to the second part. Shaddai. Oh, that means all powerful. In, in the Latin, it was translated as omnipotent. It means it's, it's, it's power that cannot run out. It's infinite power. And how much kind of power? Infinite lots of power. It's not like an infinite number of like, of like nine-volt batteries. Right? Because it's the great and mighty L. It's like an infinite number of atomic power plants right, lined up. Right? But an infinite amount of power. God's never going to run out of power. Ever. Infinitely. Powerful. Now I want you to think about the hardest thing you could possibly think of that would, that would, that would take the most power ever to do. Right? I don't know. Maybe create a universe. That, w- that would be a lot of power. And you think, okay, it would take a huge sum of power, but it's a finite amount. And if because God has infinite power, you take all the infinite amount of power and you put it in there, and how much power does God still have? His batteries are still full. That's the miracle of infinite. That's the, that's the miracle of Shaddai. See, Shaddai alone, all-powerful, God has the ability, the power to come out. The, the L portion, he has the volume of power necessary to do what's there, right? You put them together, and you have a God that is unstoppable. You have a God that can do anything, anywhere, anytime, and he doesn't even break a sweat. El Shaddai. It means God Almighty. And I want you to look at your life. If you think about how hard it might be for you to overcome things in your life, right? To change something. Maybe you're struggling with the sin or you're struggling with depression or sadness or something else like this. And you think, man, I'm just too weak. I can't overcome this. And there's a chance that you can't. A very good chance because this world is big. And you and me, we don't have infinite power. I don't know if you've noticed that. But God does. And he proved it to Abraham, didn't he? He proved it to Abraham. He said, I have the power to even make a child into an old man and old woman. I can keep my promise anywhere, anytime. I'm almighty. Second thing we find out about El Shaddai here is that it reveals God's unfailing ability. See, El Shaddai is, is, is fearfully powerful, unlimited power. And we look in this world how People who have power usually wield it. It is human nature, because of our fallen nature, to use power for selfish things, right? So think about what power is. Power is the ability to get what I want, to do what I want, isn't it? That really, as we boil it down to, power is the ability to do what I wish. Whether that's financial or physical or whatever. If I have power, I can do what I wish to do. If I lack the power to do what I wish to do, I am weak. 
And God is unlimited in his power, and he can do anything that he wishes. And this is why the character of God is so important, that he is Yahweh, that is Elohim. He is a covenant keeper. He is a savior. He is a God who is not, by his very nature, selfish. He uses his power not just to bring himself whatever he wants, but he uses his power to do what is right. He keeps his covenant always. Have you ever made a, a bargain with somebody who, who had the power to keep that agreement but then chose not to? That's why we have lawyers, isn't it? That's exactly why we have lawyers. When we make an agreement with somebody, they may have the ability to keep it, but they'll breach that covenant. And so we have to apply pressure to make sure that we keep each other honest. Have you ever made an agreement with somebody who really wanted to keep the agreement, but then they lacked the ability to do so? Isn't it heartbreaking? They would do anything. They would love to be able to keep that covenant, that commitment, but they just can't. See, neither of those two things will ever apply to God. I want you to understand that, that, that one, that God has the ability to always keep his covenant, right? He always can. The second part is he always will. That's who he is. So when God makes an agreement with us, it's not contingent upon anything outside of him. He is Yahweh. He is self-existent, right? So God's his ability to keep his word to us does not rely upon anything else outside. He can simply just keep his word with us, and he has the power and the ability to do it. He also has the character to do it. He will always keep his word. Do you remember the, the law of first mention we find in... in so the first time something's found in Scripture, it gives us a context for that, that same concept for the rest of, of Scripture. So an idea that we talked about is like the Noah's Ark. First time we find it Noah's, uh, in Genesis 6. Then every time in Scripture it talks about an ark, we recognize that it's not just any big boat. It's the ark of salvation. <laughs> well, we have the law of first mention here, Genesis 17. When it talks about God as El Shaddai, when he reveals himself to them as El Shaddai, what is he revealing himself to do? Keep the covenant. That's what El Shaddai, that's the very first thing El Shaddai says he's going to do. I will keep my covenant. And so every time we recognize El Shaddai, we start with the fact that El Shaddai uses that great power to keep his word, which is amazing. See, in that passage, Abraham had taken matters into his own hands, right? He had Ishmael. But God didn't promise just a son for Abram. He promised a son for him and Sarah. And they both looked at each other and they said, we are old. Like, we're really old. So much so that when God showed up and said, hey, you're going to have a kid, right? They both laughed at God, both independently at different times. They're like, that's a good one, God. Look at us. We can't have kids. We're as good as dead. We are old people. Our time had passed. You were slow at keeping your word, but thanks for the idea, right? That's where they were at. Because they were looking at, at what we thought was possible. And they thought maybe God really wanted to keep his word. That's why they had uh, Ishmael. We'll help you out. <laughs> like You overestimated yourself a little bit, God, but God did not overestimate himself. And Joseph says, I am El, I'm great and powerful, and I'm unlimited in power. I'm Shaddai, and you're going to have a baby. See, El Shaddai shows up, and his very name, the reminder of who he is, gives Abraham and Sarah faith. It bolsters them. We read about that in Romans chapter 4. Through the Holy Spirit, God, God got to speak through, the, uh, through Paul, and he writes this. They're talking about Abraham, talking about this very same passage we read. It says, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. That's Abraham. He's like, he didn't weaken his faith. He looked at his body and said, yep, 99 years old, pretty much good as dead. But since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead, he looked at his wife and said, she's too old to have a baby. We all know that. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. 13 years ago, he didn't have that same faith, did he? Is when God showed up, even 13 years after the fact. And it reveals who he is. Abraham's faith was built. 
And he looked at himself and he looked at his wife and said, with man, it's impossible, but God, with you, we're going to trust you. And you know, it wasn't just Abraham that had his faith built then. It was his wife too. We see, read about that in Hebrews 11. It says, and by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, duh, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. I think it's important any time you read the word because we need to pay attention, don't we? There's an if-then type of thing there. By faith, that's what Sarah had. That's the if. You see, if Abraham and Sarah, after God said, you're going to have a baby, said, no, we're not going to even give it a chance. We have done this for years and years and years. We are now 30 years in the promised land, and I don't have a baby yet, and I'm tired of living in a tent, and we're done with you, God. They could have moved back to Ur. They could have made sure that they didn't have any opportunity to have a baby, and they wouldn't have had a baby. If they didn't have faith enough in God, the if was faith. The then was they received God's blessing. It is very true in our life. There are things that God promises us, lots of things, doesn't he? He doesn't require us to do those things. He says, have faith in me. Trust me. Trust me. You trust him. God is the one who has the power to keep his word. And you know what? They did trust God. And what was the outcome? Next verse, Hebrews eleven twelve. It says, and so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sands on the seashore. I love that that's even written in the book called Hebrews. That's a book named after the whole people that are countless as much as the stars in the sky. It's the very name of the book that is written. It's a testimony to God's faithfulness and ability to do miraculous things. Because if you see a 100-year-old man fathering a baby and a 100-year-old woman mothering a baby, you're like, that's not normal. God showed up. And he does. See, we often try to help God out, don't we? I I remember a youth pastor, how many times I see young people, they would try to help God out. God has a way for us to be single and to to be able to meet somebody, right? To be pure in heart and trust him that God's got, you pray for your, your future spouse, you do that kind of stuff, but they get to a point and they're waiting and then oftentimes after they graduate, they go to college or whatever and the time doesn't seem like, they're like, God, where are you? And so we try to help God out. Say, I'm not going to be faithful anymore. I tried it your way, God. It's not working for me. And then they run into all kinds of problems. I know that for me and and my wife, for Amy, uh, we we had an opportunity financially to to really have this put to the test. Um, Early on when we first got married, things were going pretty good. And we were really good at saving. And we worked for, uh, if you all knew the former pastor, Scott Weber, man, he was a great financial counselor. Like, you save, this is what you do, all that kind of stuff. We were on track. We were paying down our house. We were were saving. Everything was going well, right? And and we started, when we first started at the church, I wasn't tithing because I didn't grow up in the church. I had no idea what this whole gift. I would just tip God. Like, if Scott gave a good message, I was like, that was a good message, Pastor. And I put something down there, right? Or or maybe God pricked my heart or something like that. And be like, oh, yeah, this this is like I should... I should give today. Okay, I will do it, right? So I would do that. That was how I did it. I was kind of like tipped God. Then, then I realized as I, I grew in that, that God said, no, you need to be faithful. You give regularly. So then I was in the habit. I was like, okay, every Sunday I'm going to give something. Whatever I have in my pocket, that's what I'm going to give. And so I would. And then I noticed on Saturday nights, it, I would go through my wallet sometimes. I'd be like, should I take that dollar out or keep it in? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not, right? That's where I was at. But, but that's where I started. Every week, something. And I trusted God in that. And then as we were growing in our faith, realized that we should be, that in the word, it's proportional. And so I started. I started with, Amy and I were poor at the time. And we were, I was an electrician as an apprentice. And, and we were building my dad's business in there. And, and she worked at a, at a clothing store and didn't get very many hours. And so we, we started at 1%. That's where we started. And it was an act of faith at that 1%. And it really was an act of faith. But we did it. And then we realized that, the, that we, did, we didn't lose everything. And so then we were like 2%. And then 3, they worked at 4, and then 5, and then 6, and 7, and then 9, because we skipped 8, why not? Right? And then 10, right? We worked up to a tithe. 
Like we had done all these things and God had blessed us. He had blessed us financially and we were getting the things that, that we had expected. God was good to us. And then Amy got sick. And all bets were off. I mean, first we lost everything that we had saved. Right? And when somebody gets sick, they stop working. So you lose the income. It was, that was hard. But we didn't stop giving. But we thought about it. And then the bills started coming in. And doctors are expensive. And hospitals are even more expensive. I mean, you could go for like a really, really, really nice vacation for the same price as like a couple days in the hospital and be a lot more fun. Right? And, and, and so we spent a lot of time in the hospital. And all of a sudden it was just debt. And debt, and debt, and the debt was like to a point was just ridiculous. Sometimes I open the mail and we would just sit and laugh, right? And then we cry. <laughs> but it was like impossible. And during this time, we continued to tithe. But there came a point at which you know I remember there was we started to think, uh, God, you're not keeping your word because I know there are promises in your word about giving and tithing and trusting Him. He says in Matthew seven, "Trust me, and I'll take care of you." And I was not feeling taken care of. Everything that I had done seemed to be taken away. And not only that, there are other places that says, hey, hey, tithe, give to me, and I will open up the storehouses of heaven. You're, you're going to be swimming in blessing. And I was like, I am not swimming in blessing. I am here in the desert. God, where are you? I'm doing my part. I'm like Abraham. I moved to the desert, and I still have a baby, and I still don't have land. And we were there for years, years. And at first, our faith held strong. And then we kept watching things get worse and worse and worse. And my faith wavered more than my wife's, but we were both kind of rocked by this. And there was a time when I was sitting in a hospital room with my wife sitting across from me, and we needed to buy medicine for her, and we had no money to do it, except for we did. And that money was in where our tithe was. And I remember sitting there in the hospital talking with my wife, who was sick, and saying... What do we do? You need this medicine. We have the money. If we don't tithe, we have the money. And we sat there and we prayed about it and both of us just couldn't say no to God. We both said, if we, if we walk away from God, then what hope do we have? What hope do we have? That was a pivotal moment in our life. And so we continue to be faithful and every single time, every single week, that was an appeal to God. You've got to keep your word. You've got to come through. And you know what? He has. There was never a day that I slept on the street. There was never a day that my boy went to bed hungry. There was never a time my wife missed medicine. It was miraculous, and I still look back on that with wonder and say, how on earth, God, did you do it? Because I don't know how you did it. But he did. And then he showed off, and he wiped away the debt. And he put us onto a different place. I will tell you that God showed up in a way that I would never have believed it. We were as good as dead. We just had enough faith to not walk away. Like Abraham and Sarah. It was the fact that God is almighty and he could do anything. That's where our hope was. And that's where it remained. And you know, in that process, God did something for me just like he did for Abraham and Sarah. As he showed us that he keeps his word. He is unfailing. He is unfailing. And because of that, I have something that no one can take away from me now, and that's called testimony, because I have firsthand experienced the power of God. And if you walk away from God and don't give him a chance, you don't get that. That's the if then. Be faithful. Christ doesn't need your help. He keeps his word. We have to trust him. I think a place that a lot of us really try to, to help God out is in this. It's in the spiritual realm, isn't it? In salvation. How many times do us do we say to God, I will be good enough. I need to help you out. Right? I know that I'm saved by grace through faith in Jesus, but I'm, I can't go to church and tell him a little bit better. <laughs> no, this is the hospital. This is where you come when you're sick. And this is the home. This is the place you come when you're broken because we build you up. Then we say to God, well, I don't feel worthy. That's the point. He'll save you. 
That's what all religion is all about, doing these things to try to build our spirits up so that way we'll be more acceptable to God. Here's what makes you acceptable to God. Jesus paid the price for your sins. They have been paid for. They are not yours anymore. God has made you acceptable. You are saved by grace through faith. And sometimes it is the greatest act of faith just to show up in prayer to God because you know who you are. And you know he knows your heart. And you say to God, I know that I'm saved. And you are the great and mighty terrible L, right? You are terrifying. And yet, I will stand for your presence and I will ask for my needs because I know that you love me because of who you are. As an act of faith. Trust God. El Shaddai reveals the very, very character of God that he keeps his covenant. Always does. Always has. Always will. Third thing we learn about El Shaddai is this, is that El Shaddai blesses us and makes us fruitful. What was that memory verse again? May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful. <laughs> you understand that this is who God does. He, he's not there to destroy us. He's not there to just crush us with his power. His heart and his design is for you to be blessed and to be fruitful. That doesn't just mean in this world with small things, but the fruit will last. We have to be careful not to get ahead of God. I think oftentimes we think God is holding out on us. I felt that way when we were going through, when Amy wasn't getting better and all the stuff was getting worse and all that kind of stuff. I felt that God was just holding out on us. And I know that a lot of people, they're, they're waiting to find their spouse or they're waiting to find that job promotion or, or things like this or like feel like God is holding out on them. He's not. You see, if God gave Abraham and Sarah a baby at 70, it would have been pretty cool, but that actually happens. Well, that, that has happened in history before. But to have somebody that's 100 years old have a baby? Now, that's miraculous. And God was proving the miraculous. Their part was just to be faithful for those years, for 30 years. And for us, we have to realize we can't get ahead of God. We just have to wait. That's why so many times in Scripture it says, They that wait upon the Lord, He'll renew your strength. He'll take care of you. He'll rise you up on wings like eagles, right? You'll walk, not grow weary. You'll run and not faint. God's going to take care of you. He'll carry you through the process. But you wait. That's what you need to do. God is not the God of instant gratification. Oftentimes, he's working in the waiting. Moses got a call when he was 40 and had to wait till he was 80 to be able to, to, be able to go back and set his people free. It's a long time to wait. But God was at work. You wait. If you are right here today feeling like you're waiting on God, guess what? That's normal. That's part of the faith. If you feel like, God, I'm waiting for your promise, that's normal. But it doesn't mean he's not at work. And it doesn't mean he's hold out on you. In the story of the book of Ruth, we have this meet this gal named Naomi. They were in the time of the judges. They had a famine in the land because people were naughty. So they weren't obeying God. So God said, all right, I'll give you a famine. And they lived on this farm. And so they were waiting on God. And they felt like, man, we can't trust him to take care of us. So we're going to go to Moab. So they moved to Moab. And then bad things happened because they gave up on God. And so her husband died. And, and her sons both got married and they died. And now she's got two daughters-in-law from this pagan country. And she's all alone. And one of the daughters-in-laws, she's like, see ya. And there's this other daughter-in-law named Ruth. It's like, well, I'm going to stick with you. It's a beautiful story. And Naomi comes back to her, uh, to her country after all of this. And she's, I love how she says this because she's, I think Naomi and me would get along. She says, she moves back to her home country and all the people are like, hey, Naomi, we haven't seen you for a while. She's like, yeah, well, don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mira, which means bitter because the Almighty has made me very bitter <laughs> that God used his power to crush me, right? Don't call me Aaron, just call me bitter. God made me bitter, right? That's where she was at. But she didn't give up on God. She came back in that experience of waiting, and, and, and through that, she recognized her only true hope really was in God, that she didn't have the power to, to subvert what God's plans were. And through this, God did an amazing thing. And Ruth meets this guy named Boaz, and they have a kid who has a kid who leads to King David. I think we recognize from this is before... Before we can be filled, we have to be empty. But we're so full of ourselves, aren't we? And that selfishness is toxic and it's not good. Selfish people are no fun to be around. I think in the suffering and in the waiting, God allows us to empty ourselves. We just get it all out. And it's painful and it's a slow process, but it's so helpful. And then he fills us. And he fills us with goodness and grace and mercy and all the blessings. 
I think before we can trust God truly, we have to stop trusting ourselves. Abraham and Sarah had to stop trusting in their ability to have a baby in the natural way and had to trust God to keep his word. It's the same in our life. If you're waiting, let God empty you. Get empty so he can fill you with the things that he has for you, better things. I also want you to see that God also, he prunes those that he loves. Right? Look what it says in, in John 15. Jesus is talking about, about the life of a disciple, what it's looked like. And he uses agricultural terms, and he says this. He says, he, God, cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. Those are people that are bearing no fruit. They're part of it, the kingdom, but they're just not being fruitful. Right? Cuts them off. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that will be more fruitful. Now, don't get freaked out about when my branch doesn't bear fruit. There's the thing. If you remain in Christ, he'll talk about that. You will bear fruit. You don't have to worry about it. But here's the thing. He prunes even those that are fruitful. You're like, God, I'm doing good things for you. Do you know what pruning is? It's cutting those things off of you that are, that are energy sucks. That's what pruning is. You look at a plant. Plants don't know how to grow. They don't go to school and say, grow here, not here. They just grow. Wherever it's easy, that's where they grow up a shoot. And then there's, the, there's the, the person who tends the vines and looks at those and says, that shoot's leading nowhere and cuts it off. You're going to grow in life. God doesn't expect you to know everything. And you're just going to grow. And there are going to be things in your life that become energy sucks. So you know what God's going to do? He's going to cut those things out of your life. And sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's a hobby. Sometimes it's a friendship. Sometimes it's a career thing that, that is really leading nowhere. But God will prune you. And oftentimes when he prunes us, our first reaction is, ouch, why did you do that? God does it because he loves you and wants you to be fruitful. He wants you to be successful. That's why he's doing it. So when he's pruning, it is an ouchie, but it's also a thank you. Now, here's the thing. It's that first part that so cuts off every branch that doesn't bear fruit. That freaked me out for years until I read John 15, 5, a couple verses later. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. That's it. See, the branches that aren't bearing fruit are the ones that are trying to do it on their own. Stop trying it on your own. Connect with God. Stay in Christ. Be faithful like Abraham. It may take a while, but the promise is you will bear fruit. And if case we missed that, he says this, apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you want your life to matter? Do you want to, be, to enjoy the, the benefit of, of a life that, that's filled with Christ? Remain in him. Let him remain in you. You're going to bear fruit. Verse 16, the next one, I think is really cool too. It shows us that God is not passive in this. It says, you didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit. That's the whole reason he picked you out. And what kind of fruit? Fruit that's going to last. He's not going to let us live our lives, waste our lives for trinkets. He is building us and a kingdom in us. He is doing things in us that last forever. Good things. That's what he's doing. And so he said, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. God is not against you. God is with us. He wants you to be fruitful. That's his design. But maybe right now you're in the pruning process, right? That's okay. Trust him. He keeps his word. Remain in him. You will bear not just a little fruit. How much? That you would bear much fruit, fruit that will last. Your life matters. And what God is doing with you matters forever. So trust him. Today we talked about a couple of big things about El Shaddai. Why he is so important for us. The first one we recognize that El Shaddai, it means God Almighty. He is the all-powerful, never-ending powerful one. Trust him. God is unfailing in his ability. El Shaddai reminds us that God will always keep his word, has the ability to. And the third thing is that God blesses us and makes us fruitful. So why on earth do we keep trying to do it on our own? Stick with God. His strength is more than sufficient. His power is more than, is more than enough. And you know the thing is crazy about God is that his strength is oftentimes made perfect in our weakness. Not that he has to wait for us to be weak for his strength to be made perfect, but we need to be weak sometimes to recognize his strength. He's the one that does it. So the question is, do you long to be filled with his power? Well, if so, then that's what the life of the disciple is, isn't it? We want to be filled with that power that changes us. So if you have your connection card, take it out. I've got some next steps then. How do we walk in this? How do we trust God as El Shaddai to be working in our life? And on the back side of your connection card, if you would read this, maybe this week what you can do as your next step is you memorize Genesis 28.3. To recognize it is God's desire, his, his heart. He says that God Almighty may bless you and make you fruitful. 
and increase your numbers until you become a community of people. That's God's blessing. That's being disciples that build disciples. This is the fruit that lasts. If you wonder what God made you for, this is it. Maybe we start there so you can see what God is doing here. How about this? Maybe you read the book of Job or the book of Ruth. Do you know that Shaddai is found almost exclusively in the book of Job? You want to read what it's like to have a God who's almighty or the book of Ruth we talked about this morning? Maybe that's what you do. See, these are real people who live real lives. This is their story. This is their testimony. How about this? Maybe you ask God for help. Are you at the end of your rope? Good. Maybe it's time that you ask God for help. You're feeling weak? His strength is made perfect in weakness. You are not beyond help. God Almighty is there, but you have to go to him. Maybe that's where you begin this week. Bring those things and know that he is bigger than your abilities. Trust him. And maybe that's that last part then, to trust God's plan and power. Stick with him. Even when it's hard, even when your faith is shaken, just have enough. Stick with God. And maybe that's what you do this week. You say, I know God's plan. I'm not going to try to help him out. I'm just going to do my part. I'm just going to be faithful. Make your commitment. The minute we're going to take our offering as we do, pick these connection cards with your commitments on there. Put them in the offering baskets. That'll be awesome. All right, let's pray for our, our commitments and uh, allow the worship team lead us with the closes with some good worship. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your power, your love, your might, your goodness. Lord, we look to you and recognize that you have the power, the ability to keep your word. Thank you for doing it. Lord, I pray that you would grow this church, that you would bless this space with fruitfulness and increase our numbers until we become a community of peoples. Father, we pray that you would invade this valley with your love and goodness and grace, that the gospel would make sense. Father, that anyone who steps foot in this valley would be confronted with the truth and the love of who you are. God, I pray for all of us that are here, your blessing upon each way to come today. Father, meet them right where they're at and reveal yourself in strength and power in their life. If their faith needs to be bolstered, let it be bolstered. Father, if, if they just need to see your power in their life, then Lord, help them do that. Let us be a community that supports one another as we wait upon you to do your good thing. Father, for our commitments that we've made today, let us keep those commitments. You keep yours to us. Let us keep ours to you in such a way that just like with Abraham, it would build our faith and give us testimony. Father, thank you for our tithes, our offerings, and opportunity to put our faith to practice. Lord, use these gifts as a way of of inviting your kingdom into our life and inviting your kingdom into our community. Would you use them to build your name in this valley in a great way? We would ask that all in the wonderful name of our El Shaddai Jesus. Amen.